today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. told him, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And he blessed them and welcomed them into his kingdom. There were others that he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you left me destitute. I was in prison. You never visited me. And he said, well, Lord, when did we ever not do that for you? He said, and as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. He's not saying that you have to do these things in order to be saved. What he's saying is, if you are truly born again, there's going to be acts of compassion. There's going to be acts of service. Your heart is going to reach out to the world around you. Whenever we meet someone who has a title either before or after their name, we can sometimes feel a little intimidated. Whether it's because they yield a position of authority or the title declares great knowledge, it may cause us to act a little timid. But what if certain titles should make us feel the exact opposite? In today's message, Pastor David teaches us about the title deacon. In our study, we learn how leaders and designated positions within the church are to be servants rather than lording over others. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Call for Servants. Moving further into chapter 3 of 1 Timothy this morning, we've been going through the pastoral epistles now for a a couple of months. We start with 1 Timothy. After we finish 1 Timothy, we're going to get on into 2 Timothy and then on into Titus. But this morning, we we now come to the, the personal or the spiritual requirements of those who are called deacons. Now, Before we get into that, and there's a lot that we're going to be speaking of here, actually what I want to do is lay a a little bit of a background, a little bit of a foundation, and actually if the truth were to be told, I want to lay a big foundation for you. And we're going to take the opportunity, we're going to take the time to do that this morning. First of all, the very first thing that we're going to look at is the word itself. Uh, What is translated in your Bibles as deacon is actually, it comes from the Greek word diakonos. Now, we're going to be going through some some heavy waters here this morning. Uh, Some of you think, you're going to think by the time we get through this morning, man, I've gone to school today. What is it? But that's okay. Because again, we need to be trained, we need to be encouraged, we need to be brought through the truth of God's word. And hopefully for your life, for my life, this, uh, again, this, this teaching through this will be an encouragement and I believe that it will enlighten us in many ways. Well, that Greek word diakonos, a, a very straightforward uh, translation of that is actually humble servant. That the deacon should be a humble servant. 
in extra biblical writings, uh, the word in Greek literature and, and personal letters, that diakonos, that word is used uh, multiple times, and it's translated in various and assorted ways. It's translated as a waiter, as a servant, as a steward, as a, a messenger. It wasn't a term original or exclusive to Christianity, and hopefully you understand that, that again, this idea of a humble servant, we, we've taken that and we brought it into Christianity and we've made it a, a, a portion or a place of the structure within the church. The word actually was even used in, in pagan temples. Those that would serve in the pagan temples, they were called deacons also, and I don't know what your experience has been with other deacons, but uh, that's not who we're talking about today, okay? We're talking about those that would serve within the church. Within the Bible, the the first instance that we see of that word uh, diakonos actually being used, we find it at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You remember there in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana of Galilee. It's that very word that we read as John writes that Jesus' mother Mary said to the diakonos, the servants there at the wedding, They weren't church deacons. They were simply servants that were there at the wedding. Jesus himself often used the word in speaking to those that that would follow him. If you're going to follow him, you've got to be able to be a servant. We see it multiple times. Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, if anyone serves me, and that's a form of that word, diakoneo, if you are going to serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant, my diakonos, will be also. And if anyone serves a diakoneo, me, him my father will honor. In Matthew chapter 20, we read, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what, church? Your servant, your diakonos. And then in Mark, we read that Jesus sat down with, with the 12, sat down with the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and diakonos of all. But other than the gospels, Paul is the only one that uses that word within the New Testament. However, in the Old Testament, we actually find another word that's very similar in meaning. It's the Hebrew word Hassan. Now, the Hassan served and worked within the Jewish synagogues, and it seemed to be an equal ministry of what for the church later became the deacon's ministry. We read both uh, in, in, in Jewish history as well as, uh, again, just the, the, the accounts that we know of, that it was the Hassan who was responsible for the opening and the closing of the synagogue doors. He was, he was, the, he was in essence, the key keeper. The Hassan served as also the custodian or the janitor for the synagogue. He was the one that, that kept it clean. He was the one that did small repairs that were necessary. 
It was the Hassan that took care of the scriptures and other important documents within the synagogue. He was the one that handled the scroll that was being read when they would come and read. He would go to, again, the box and pull out the scroll. Many people believe that when Jesus had shared from the prophet Isaiah that he gave the scripture back to the Hassan. Again, just because of the tradition of who those men were. And although they're not called as such, Most biblical scholars and commentators believe that in the book of Acts, we see actually the first instance officially forming a group of those that would serve the church directly in the office or the ministry of what later became known as the deacons. Now, we find in Acts chapter 6, as the church grew in the early days, there was, there was a lot of widows, again, that, that came to faith in Christ. They joined the church. They, they became an active part of the church. And as the church saw these physical needs raising up with these women, the church as a whole began ministering to their needs in a very non-structured, very non-organized, and a very unofficial way. There was a, a need that was seen, and many within the church simply stepped up to be able to assist that need. However, the problem is, is there was some imbalance that started to come, and there were some that received assistance, and then there were others that got overlooked. Well, once that awareness came to the ears of the apostles, then they knew that something had to be done. And so soon, they brought about organization. They brought about structure. They brought about an organized way of dealing with these issues. They brought about actually an official way. It was the word of the apostles that said, no, we need these men to take care of these functions. That way, none of the women were going to be left out of needed assistance. uh, And it also allowed the apostles then to continue on doing the spiritual matters of the church. Now, we're going to get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You've got to trust me in this. We will eventually get to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. But right now, just kind of put to your bulletin or something there. Flip over to Acts chapter 6. Let's look at that because, again, it is so clear what the apostles have set in place and in order here. Acts chapter 6. Again, Luke writing here the history of the church. He says, now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you, catch this, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we we may appoint over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's at this point that we see that the requirements that's being set on these men was that they would be men of good reputation, men full of the Holy Spirit, men full of wisdom. Let's continue on. Verse 5 there. He says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Well, it didn't take 
too long, it doesn't take too long in the reading of the scripture here, just a couple of verses, and then as you get into the next chapter, that you suddenly realize that these men were much more, much more than just waiters or janitors for the church, that God used these men in a powerful way. And again, here in chapter six, we find that Stephen, one of these deacons, was a man full of faith, full of power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. We read that here further on in chapter six. Well, because of his witness, he ended up having to stand before the Sanhedrin, before the elders and the scribes and the leaders of Judaism, because again, they were charging him for, with insurrection. He continued to, to preach Christ everywhere that he went. And so he was arrested and brought, in, in essence, on, on trial before the Sanhedrin. And again, his testimony before them is found in the next chapter of the book of Acts, there in chapter seven. And it's one of the most powerful, most concise histories of the nation of Israel and God's plan of redemption from Abraham all the way to Jesus, I think that we could ever ask for in just that small place. As he's standing before the Sanhedrin, he begins lecturing these teachers of the law of what God's plan had always been. As he spoke before these guys, says that they looked at him steadfastly they saw his face like the face of an angel. This is just a deacon in the church, folks. And yet as he finished that history lesson to these teachers of the law, they were so convicted by their own sin that they ended up stoning him to death. And thus Stephen became the first church's martyr as they stoned him to death there, a simple deacon. Well, moving from chapter seven of the book of Acts On into chapter eight, we see the story of another deacon, a man by the name of Philip. And again, it says that he was used mightily by God. It was his preaching that brought about a a revival in, in a city there in Samaria. Again, as the Holy Spirit empowered him, many came to the Lord Jesus. And there in chapter seven down in, or in chapter eight, verse seven, it says that unclean spirits cried with a loud voice, came out of, coming out of many who were possessed. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in the city. And then down in verse 12, it says that both men and women were being baptized. And right in the middle of this revival, you think, man, Philip's in a great place. The Spirit's moving. I want to stay here. But no, right in the middle of that revival, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and told him, arise and go down south along the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so out of obedience, Philip, this deacon in the early church, he went in full obedience to the word of the Lord in his life. He met an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch there, a man of great authority under Candace, the, the queen of the Ethiopians. And Philip ran up to that man's chariot. He took the opportunity then to explain the word of God to that man. He explained the message of salvation to him and he led him to faith in Christ and then he baptized him right there at a roadside oasis. After he was baptized, once again, the Holy Spirit, uh, it says that the Holy Spirit literally caught Philip up and caught him away and brought him to the coastal area on the uh, western end of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea, brought him there to a city which is now 
currently modern-day Ashdod, a little bit south of Tel Aviv, and it says that from there all up along the coastline, Philip continued on, and everywhere that he went, he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ going all the way up to Caesarea. Just another deacon in the first century church. One of the other things we need to understand about that's going on throughout the first century In the church there, it wasn't just the deacons. It wasn't just the elders. But this whole idea of every member of the church living out the heart of the diakonos, living out the heart of a servant, was a common occurrence. And just as the disciples were called to serve, each member of the body of Christ is called to what, church? To serve one another just as Christ has served us. As a matter of fact, we could... Go to Matthew, you don't need to turn there, but we find in Matthew 25 that Jesus equates the reality of our relationship with him as to how we all serve each other. He's not speaking about a works-based salvation. That's not what it is. What he's speaking about is a salvation that is real enough within our own lives to bring about acts of service to the church and to the world around us. Is your relationship with Christ such that he moves you outside of yourself? The interesting thing there in that Matthew chapter 25 verse is Jesus, again, speaking to those that were there, he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And some said, Lord, when, when did we do that? And Jesus told him, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And he blessed them and welcomed them into his kingdom. There were others that he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you left me destitute. I was in prison. You never visited me. And they said, well, Lord, when did we ever not do that for you? He said, and as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. He's not saying that you have to do these things in order to be saved. What he's saying is, if you are truly born again, there's going to be acts of compassion. There's going to be acts of service. Your heart is going to reach out to the world around you. Yet, although it's a requirement, for all the children of God to have and to move with hearts of service one to another. Early on in the life of the church, there was a need to organize, to direct certain ones with that direct task of being the diakonos within the church in an official capacity. It wasn't that they, did the, they were the only ones that were doing it, but they were the ones that were doing it, and then they helped direct others. And again, history shows us that the diakonos were were part of the early church in a very organized structure. We saw the need for it there in in the book of Acts in chapter 2 as we looked at that. We also see it recognized by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 1.1. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants, and there he uses another Greek word, doulos, which means a slave. Paul and Timothy, slaves to Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops, the overseers, the episcopos, we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks, and the deacons, the diakonos, the servants, again, 
Paul recognized that in the church there in Philippi, there were elders or bishops or overseers and deacons. And then we read about the refinement of those qualifications for those that would be deacons here in the passage that we will eventually look at this morning. Trust me, we're getting there. So we find this position, we find this office of deacon was used early on in the church. However, through the years, we've also seen an enormous transition of that position of deacon within the the structured church, just as we see with the position of bishop or elder. I, I believe that much of what we see within our churches and within certain denominations today certainly would not be recognized by the apostles if they came into our churches. And we said, oh, these are our elders. Really? Oh, these are our deacons. Wow, they're nothing compared to the deacons we had in the first century. Because you see, we've gone about a metamorphosis in the positions of these men, and rather than positions of service to the body, we've made them positions of power and authority. And that's completely different of what we see in the early church. All too often, the church builds the structures of man and absolutely misses the point as spoken by Christ and the apostles and that that was used within the first century church. We take upon those words and we pour, again, the mindset and the logic of man and suddenly it no longer looks anything like what the Holy Spirit was doing in the first century church. We need to look at it more. We will look at it more in a moment. But we need to see that there was a need, that there was a recognition. There was needed to be qualifications, again, for the order and for the structure that was within the church. And through that, we clearly see a couple of things. The fact that there were responsibilities, varied responsibilities within the body of Christ, not just waiting of tables, but we're going to see that it moves much beyond that. There were certain ones that were called into these places of leadership. Again, there was that organization, a clear overall organization. All of these things, they were, and I believe that they're still necessary within the kingdom of God today. But the problem is, is once we move beyond that heart of service, once we move beyond that heart of love and and compassion, once we move beyond brotherly kindness, once our structure and our organization leaves the needs of the people behind and accentuates the pride of an individual in those places, it's at that point that we've missed the direction and the call and the purpose of God for his church and for this position within the ministry of the church. That's why, among many reasons, Paul had to write to the church of Corinth, correcting an abundant amount of things. Why? Because what started out good, man got involved in and twisted and turned things around. That's why the apostle Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus, saying, hey, you need to go and you need to set things in order. Because beloved, once we move beyond the Holy Spirit's working and moving and directing in our life, once the logic of man comes into play, we're going to mess it up. I can guarantee you, we are going to mess it up. And that's what we have here today as Paul writes these things to Timothy and Titus. 
It's also interesting to see that, that, that Paul actually only speaks of two required offices within the church, and that's the elders, those that are responsible for the spiritual direction of the church and the teaching of the word of God, and then the ones that are the, the deacons, those that are responsible for organizing and setting up the ministry to meet the various needs of, of the body of believers that are there. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have other areas within the ministry. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad we have nursery workers within the church. Amen? I mean, I'm glad that we got Sunday school teachers within the church. So necessary for us. We have other areas of ministry there. But these two, Paul, again, zeroes in on the the bishops or the overseers, the elders. We've looked at that again, how those are all interchangeable. The book of 1 Timothy opens our eyes to the value God places on leadership. The Apostle Paul shares what we should be looking for in the church we attend and in those who lead. We too can learn from these teachings and apply them in areas where we're in leadership. We hope you've learned something valuable from today's message on the open word. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a local church that you can call home. Being a part of a faith community is essential for growing in your relationship with Jesus and offers you a place to share your unique gifts. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with a special invitation. I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com. Then follow the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.